It was uh, summertime about 28 years ago when Martha and I made a journey from Lanham, Maryland to Houston, Texas, taking our 14-year-old daughter. The word on the street was that something good was happening in Houston in women's gymnastics, and our daughter wanted to be in on it. The first person we met at the admissions table was Marta Caroli, who spoke with a heavy Roman, Roman, Romanian accent. She and her husband, Bella, had been successful in Romanian gymnastics and were now setting up shop in Houston. Their goal, even back then, was to make American women gymnasts the best in the world. We've seen the results of that project this week in Rio. The overall score of these five young ladies was more than eight points higher than the silver medalist from Russia and almost nine points higher than the bronze medalist from China. If you're familiar with this, you know that these are unheard of scores unheard of. Often the country that wins, wins by one-tenth of a point, eight points higher. And if you watched any of these young women this week, I'm sure you were as impressed as I was with the unbelievable and ability, unbelievable ability and precision activity of our girls. Marta and Bella are stepping down are selling their Texas training facility to U.S. Gymnastics. But they stand as a great example of the successful completion of a project. They had a project, and the scores this week show they succeeded amazingly. Today's message is an announcement that God has a project. He's into strength training. He's into precise actions. Our passage gives us Jesus' introduction to what's coming. Now, I am assuming that most of you were here last week, so I'm jumping in on uh, last week's message. I'm jumping into verse 15 of Matthew 16. Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Our assignment today came from Pastor Van's sort of challenge last week. I was sitting over here and he said, maybe Shupi will take care of 17 to 20 <laughs> next week while I'm gone. That was the first service. I understand in the second service it was stated a little more strongly. And then in the third service last week, it was sort of a challenge. 
So I have spent all week on Matthew 16, verses 17 to 20. And this is an amazing passage. And uh, we are dealing, we are, we're trying to work on three mysterious metaphors here. We're trying to work on the word rock. You are Peter. On this rock, I'll build my church. We're trying to work with the word keys. Who's got the keys and what are they doing with them? And we're trying to work with, a, with this binding and loosing stuff. Okay? That's the goal. And I've come to the conclusion that there are at least five announcements that Jesus is making here. So I've just divided this section up into five announcements. He's blessing Peter, and in blessing Peter, he announces a new building project in a new location with actually the same old environment, number three, and number four, new responsibilities and a new power, number five. All this is in connection with recognizing who Jesus is. Peter's statement and Jesus' response. So announcement number one. Jesus announced a new construction project. I will build my church. He pictures himself as a contractor. He's got a set of plans. He's got a picture in mind as to where this is going, as to what this is going to do, what this is going to be. Think of the word my. My says a word to us about the importance of this building project. Jesus didn't say, I will build the church. He didn't say, I will build a church. My church. The personal pronoun suggests that he's paid for this. That he owns this. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Jesus Christ has paid for this church. What makes us valuable, what makes us significant in Shenandoah Junction, is that Jesus Christ has bought us with his blood. He paid the debt of our sin. And he has a plan. His plan here is in, in Ephesians 5. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. There's the goal. Jesus Christ intends in the future to present a beautiful bride. We are part of the bride of Christ. Jesus 
didn't do like most men do today. Most men choose a bride from the cutest girl available. Jesus chose an ugly one. We were a mess. And he is in the process of cleaning us up, washing with the water of the word. He is in the process of sanctifying us and purifying us because he intends someday in the near future to have a wedding. It's going to be a spectacular event. And in that event, one of the featured focuses in that event is the bride. The bride of Christ. That says something about the importance of this project. You know, uh, a lot of you, most of you guys who are married can remember what it was like in those days before the wedding. You know? Soon to be married uh, men usually have one thing on their brain. You know, they can only think of one thing. No matter what they do, they think of one thing. And when you think of Jesus Christ is waiting for his bride, will be presented. She will be presented. That says something about the value. The other thing that I see here is that the church defines the content of the project. What is this project? This project is the church. The word church means called out. It means those people who, who have heard the call and responded to the call. It's an assembly of people who have been called out. What's so unusual about this group? Well, I think you'll find that this is a brand new thing. This is a brand new group. Ephesians 2 verse 14 says... He himself is our peace, who's made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Do you see the word new? New says that this is something that was never seen in the Old Testament. When Christ said to Peter, I am building my church, he was using a future tense, build his future tense, meaning I haven't started yet. Meaning someday when the, when the word go starts, I will build my church. So the church of Jesus Christ is not the same as what you saw in the Old Testament. This is not the nation of Israel improved. This is not a merger between Israel and Jews and Gentiles. This is not a paint job on Israel. This is a brand new project. The Church of Jesus Christ. And it's one. See at the bottom there? It's one assembly. One new man. One means that it's not two. If you want to quote me on that. Give me credit, okay? One means it's not two. What's so significant? Everybody wants to make two, or three, or six, or nine. You know? People say, well, yeah, we should have a Jewish church where they can sing the Old Testament, the wonderful psalms in the Old Testament. We need a Gentile church. And we need an Asian church. And we need an African-American church. And we need a... 
a white church and we need an Indian church and we need a, a contemporary church and we need a traditional church and we need an, a Calvinistic church and an Arminian church. Amen? See, God's against that. He has no interest in that. One. Jesus said in John chapter 10, he said, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Ever thought about the difficulty of that? One flock, one shepherd. That means that as we get together from all our different backgrounds and all our different ways of doing things, we need to somehow do this together. You ever had any trouble in your family getting your kids together? Getting your kids on the same page? Even together for a meal was difficult in our house. Together. So what do you do, for example, when it comes to music? Every church I've ever been connected to has had trouble with music. There are always people who have the idea that the music we're singing is not the right music. You know? Uh, it's too traditional. You know? There's always somebody in the church that wants Gregorian chants that come out of the 13th century, you know? And there's always somebody that wants heavy metal gospel. How do you get these two together? God intends they get together. So here's what normally happens. What normally happens is one fakes it. Here's a verse. Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 3. You, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Enthroned on the praises of Israel. Enthroned means that you are that you are glorified, that you are satisfied on the praises of Israel. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that God is enthroned when we listen to praise music? Perhaps. I doubt it. Does that mean that God is enthroned when we fake that we are singing the music? I don't think so. Do you think that God is enthroned when we sing the music half-heartedly? Do you see where this is going? The church is one when we can all participate in glorifying God together with all our hearts, singing His praises. Amen? So, is that what you've been doing this morning? Did you sing this morning with all your heart? I didn't. I was playing over there next to Jeff. But did you sing with all your heart? You see, oneness, one new man, means you've got a group of people from all these different kinds of backgrounds who are glorifying together, glorifying God together. 
You only glorify God together when you do it in spirit and in truth. When you do it with your heart. I am sick of half-hearted church music. I don't care what style it is. You know? It doesn't matter to me what style it is. It's the attitude in the heart. I know a lady years ago who wouldn't even come into the church until the music was over. She came to hear the message. Happened to be my church. You know, she'd peek in the door and she'd wait till the music was over because she did not approve the music. Well, what kind of what kind of participation is that? Okay, I'm off the track. I'm preaching. But what this means is that everybody, in, in a sense, loses their cultural identity. You know, everybody loses or gives up some of their habits or some of the stuff they like, their birth music, their, the way they did things, and so on. It would be so much easier if you had a Jewish guy who trusted Christ who could grow up in a Jewish church where they sang the Old Testament Psalms and they ate kosher food. But what happened? Paul brought a Gentile in to that congregation. Gentile didn't sing Jewish, didn't even know what it was. Didn't eat kosher food. So now you've got Jewish people, as the church of Gentiles got larger, who had to sing Gentile music. Harvs. And had to eat hamburgers. You know, instead of kosher food. That's what God wants. Why? Because that's the way you grow in Jesus Christ. You grow in Jesus Christ as you learn to appreciate differences, as you learn to work with differences, as you learn to sacrifice some of your favorites. It's a growing process, and that's what God wants to happen. He wants this building project to be one. Are you part of it? Have you bought into that? Are you here not just as a spectator, but as a participant? Have you joined a church? Have you com contributed? Given of your time? Given of your wisdom? Talent? That's number one. We got to move. Number two, Jesus announced the location for the project, the rock. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. The word Peter means rock. So Christ is actually saying you are rock and on this rock, I will build my church. We get nervous over this statement because the Roman Catholic Church has concluded that our Lord Jesus is here conferring on Peter the first place of honor and jurisdiction in the government of his church. To them, that means that final authority resides in Peter's successors, who are the popes and the bishops in Rome. 
and that a person is not a true follower of Christ until they're in communion with the sea in Rome, where Peter rules in the person of his successor. So does this announcement that Jesus made to Peter mean that Peter is the first in a succession of authorities in the church, the popes? No, it does not. It does not. Not at all. But on the other hand, Jesus is clearly saying that he's building the church on Peter. I'm waiting for a reaction. I hear no reaction. You say, why is he saying that? Well, he's saying that because he's giving Peter the keys to the kingdom. He's building the church on Peter, but not Peter as the man. You remember what Peter said. What Peter said was the opposite of the national confusion. The question back in verse 13 was, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they answered, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, some one of the prophets. They're trying to say nice things about Jesus. They're trying to elevate Jesus. They're trying to get him as high as they can. You know, Jeremiah, he was, he was great. John the Baptist, awesome. At the same time, they're, they're doing this illogical mental dance of saying, he's a liar. He didn't claim to be Jeremiah. He didn't claim to be John the Baptist. He claimed to be God, the Son of God. And they said, we'll hang you on a cross for that. So you had this strange combination. On one hand, they were, put, they were promoting him as high as they could. I mean, what do you do when you can see miracles and when you got 5,000 people fed and you have to put him up there? On the other hand, they're saying he is untrustworthy as a liar. In the middle of that, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Very interesting phrase. In the Greek language, it's 10 words. Four of those words are definite articles. Peter is saying something very definite. The Messiah the Son of the God, the Living One. See, there's the basis of the whole thing. The basis of the whole thing comes from the question, comes out of the question, who is he? Who is Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ the one who can change your life? Is Jesus Christ really the one who can supply for you what nothing else can supply, what no one else can supply? Can Jesus fix your problem or is it hopeless? The question always boils down to who is he? Peter's answer is absolutely definite. Now we live in a generation today that follows Israel's confusion. People today say, oh, he's great. He's the greatest. 
Yeah, he's a liar. He's not God. He's the greatest. That's something that no one really can say logically. It makes no sense. Last week, Pastor Van quoted C.S. Lewis. This is a great quote where C.S. Lewis says, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. Peter recognized and proclaimed the truth. You are the anointed one, the son of the living God. But we're bothered by this word, this. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. On this rock. I think I've got pictures of the rock. The word rock is the word petro, which means a cliff, which means a massive rock. I put this one in because the guy sitting up there looked to me like Tom Sandretsky. <laughs> he was up there contemplating how he's going to build a house on this one. <laughs> so the word this, the word this seems to separate a little between you or Peter and on this rock. You know, there seems to be a gap there. But this points to what, Jesus, what Peter has just done. This rock points to what Peter has just said. Christ didn't build his church on Peter the man, but on Peter the preacher. Peter the one who had just announced truth that he had received from the Father. So when the church began in Acts 2, it began with Peter making the announcement that Jesus is Messiah. Do you remember Acts 2? Acts 2 was the day of Pentecost. 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. It was an official Jewish feast. All Jewish men were to assemble in Jerusalem. And there were probably a million and a half of them there. The disciples were in a house. A, a mighty wind came through the house that people around could hear. The disciples were filled with the Spirit of God and began speaking in different languages. They list 17 languages. And the shocking thing to the people was that these were Galileans speaking these languages. Galileans were known as not able to speak their own language. <laughs> they stumbled over their own language. And here were Galileans who were speaking a language that sounded like the, the native speakers. They spoke without an accent. And so the, the conversation was, so what's going on? Are these guys filled with new wine? And Peter steps up and preaches. And he ends his message with this statement, Acts 2, 36. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. Notice, know for certain, Lord, Master, God, and Christ, Messiah. What's Peter doing? 
That was the foundation of the church. Peter, by what he said, started the church. Jesus built his church on Peter's confession of faith. Now, it wasn't Peter alone. It included all the disciples. The people heard 17 languages. Peter didn't speak them all. It was a group effort. But God was using these disciples, using their witness to Jesus Christ, to reach these people. And 3,000 people responded to the gospel and became part of the church. So here's the way Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, So then you Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So did Christ build the church on Peter? Yes. <clears throat> but it wasn't on Peter the man, as if he was the first of many popes, but on Peter the vessel God used to proclaim the awesome message that Jesus Christ is both God and Messiah. And Peter includes all the apostles. The foundation of the church is apostles and prophets. Let me go to number three. The gates of hell tell us the environment in which the project is to be built. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates of hell suggest that this church is not going to be built in a resort. It's not on the beach. Okay, it's not a retirement center. It's not in a farm. It's built near where the gates of hell open and send their evil people to battle. So the gates of hell suggest that there are things all around the church that want to destroy the church and that the building of the church is going to be a battle. Paul describes it in Ephesians 6 when he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's why I think it is so difficult at times to do anything that's connected with the church. Have you notice that? It is so much easier to stay home. It's so much easier to, to do something else. It seems like with our six children, there was always some big blow up Sunday morning when it's time to go to church, you know? It would either be an accident or it would be a conflict or, you know, Jennifer would hit Sarah or somebody would break something. You know, it was always Sunday morning. I mean, we had a lot of that other times. But Sunday morning was a time. And I think that is an illustration of the fact that there are forces around today that would like to see the church split would like to see the church weakened, would like to see the church out of here. But the statement of Christ is, they will not win. 
The gates of hell will not prevail. One of my, one of the sad things about all of this is that that the opposition of the enemy often comes in as leadership in the church. We were talking Wednesday night about false teachers. Second Peter chapter 2 describes false teachers and how false teachers hook people in to what they're doing. And Second Peter 2 describes five ways that they hook people in. It talks about sensuality. Sensuality means the things that appeal to my senses, what I see, what I touch, what I taste. So that there are people who, who focus on the outside, on the senses. There are churches where you go where everything is focused on the outside. And false teachers can do that. They can attract you by... The music, the environment, you know, all the other stuff. You see them every day on TV. Then money. It says they focus on money. Okay, don't need to talk about that. The stuff you see on TV is focused on money. Plastic words. Those are words they can adjust. You know, they can bend the word slightly. It means this, not that. Authority, confidence, great swelling words of authority. These false teachers speak with all kinds of authority. In fact, they encourage you that you can speak with authority and you can tell God what to do. You know those kind? God is bound by your pronouncements. That's baloney. That's false doctrine. I should be bound by God's pronouncements and humble myself. And then you've got the party life and so on. And then verse, verse 2 of 2 Peter 2 says, Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. These guys are so good that truth looks wrong. And they're all around they're on TV. They're making a lot of money on TV. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their, con their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Destruction is not asleep. So Peter is warning us that we need to, we need to get serious about the fact that building God is building his church and it's, there's a battle. And Peter ends his second second epistle by saying so we need to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ every day if you're not growing in grace you're fresh meat for false teachers that's why every day you want to pray every day you want to get in God's word every day you want to memorize God's word every day you want to connect some way with others so you don't become meat for false teachers so the project will be built in this environment where the gates of hell are circling. They're aiming their scopes. It's a battle. The fourth thing Jesus said is, keys tell us the responsibility of the disciples. 
Keys tell us the responsibility of the disciples. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I will give you the keys. So what do we mean by keys? Another important statement here. You can quote me on this. Keys open and keys lock doors. Okay? Make sure you say you got it from me. (laughs) Keys open and keys lock doors. Look at this statement of Jesus in in Luke chapter 11. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. Matthew 23, Jesus says, but woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. How do these lawyers take away the key? How do the scribes and Pharisees shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces? Well, one way they did it is they called Christ Beelzebub. What did that do? That said to their people, you don't have to think about this. You don't have to evaluate his miracles. He is Satan. Get away. Stay away. Don't listen. Don't obey. They're shutting the kingdom of heaven from people. They're taking away the key that could open the doors for them to enter and find life. So what did it mean that Peter was given the keys of heaven? It meant that he was responsible for opening the doors of the kingdom for people. The kingdom of heaven has doors. You enter it by faith. You listen to the disciples, to their confession that Jesus is Lord. You believe what they say. You obey them and receive Jesus Christ. Those who did that entered the kingdom. Colossians chapter 1 says, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the church began when the doors were open. Peter and the apostles opened the door. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter made the announcement that Jesus Christ is Lord and 3,000 people turned to him. In Acts chapter 3, Peter made another announcement that Jesus Christ was Lord and 2,000 people turned to Christ. In Acts chapter 10, Peter made another announcement to a few people at Cornelius' house. And Gentiles, for the first time, received Christ. So Peter and the apostles are using the key, opening the door, and people are listening and receiving the message of Jesus Christ. Someone said in the first service after I was over, you know, this key really is a voice-actuated key. The key works as people share the gospel as people announce the news. I want to go a step further. I think that you and I have been given the keys to the kingdom. 
The keys to the kingdom were given to Peter and the apostles. The keys to the kingdom are given to us. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you have been given the opportunity of opening the doors of the kingdom to people who have never heard, to people who don't know. I think one of the best ways to open the door is simply to ask the question, what do you think about Jesus Christ? Who is he? Is he God? Or has he lied? We have the same responsibility as Peter. We are Peter's successors. Martin Luther said this, All Christians are Peter's on account of the confession which Peter here makes which is the rock on which Peter and all Peters are built. Do you get that? All Christians are Peters on account of the confession which Peter here makes, which is the rock on which Peter and all Peters are built. Number five, whatever you bind or loose describes their new authority. Whatever you bind or loose. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There are a host of questions about this verse. And a host of suggestions. You know, what does it mean? It's already loosed or bound in heaven? What does it mean whatever? Is that a person? Is that a thing? What does it mean to bind? What does it mean to loose? I've got five minutes to answer all the questions. <laughs> I think the questions are answered in Mark eight in Matthew eighteen. Look at this passage. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. 16, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to, to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So the binding and loosing here is very similar to the binding and loosing in chapter 16. Notice what's happening here. P, uh, Jesus says, tell it to the church. The church. He doesn't say, tell it to Peter. And whatever Peter decides, heaven's with him. That's not it. He's saying, tell it to the church. The church can make a decision. You'll notice, secondly, we're talking about a Christian, a brother, who doesn't want to confess his sin, who doesn't want to get his life straightened out, who doesn't want to grow in Christ. He wants to maintain his sin. Okay? So, in verse 15, it says, If he listens to you, that's good. 16 says, if he does not listen. 17 says, if he, doesn't, if he refuses to listen to them. 17 says again, if he refuses to listen even to the church. 
And what happens? This passage says that God has given an authority to the church collectively to confront and judge sin in the church. This isn't authority to forgive or not forgive sin. That's God's prerogative. Rather, it's authority and responsibility to confront sin in the church, to judge it and put it out. It's a responsibility to say that is not what we want to do. We don't live that way. That is not good. And when they do, when, when a church does that, they represent Christ who stands behind them in their actions. We see Peter doing this in Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property and they brought the money in. Apparently, they, they came with the idea they were going to give all the money to the church and they, they banked part of it. So they show up before Peter and, and say, here's what we made in this transaction when it wasn't really all they made. So they were lying. Here's Peter's response. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back, part, keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Why lie about it, you know? You've not lied to men, but to God. So what was he doing? Peter was confronting sin in the church. He was telling Ananias, you can't do this as a believer. And God dealt with the sin by taking Ananias. Peter didn't do this because he was Pope. He did this as a minister of Christ. It's the church that does this and God responds from heaven. So what does it mean to bind or loose? What it means is how we work, how the church collectively works with people in the church, with believers. God wants us to be one and in the process of being one, he wants us to challenge one another to encourage one another, to discipline one another, because he's serious about the process. So what do we learn out of all of this? What does all of this say? All of this says that God is serious about his building project. God is building his church, Christ's church. This is called in 1 Corinthians 12, the body of Christ. Ephesians 5 says this is the bride of Christ, and God is building his church. Here's my question today. Are you as serious about, as serious about this as God is? Have you ever realized how important the local church is? A.W. Tozer makes this statement. According to the scriptures, the church is the habitation of God through the Spirit, and as such is the most important organism beneath the sun. She's not one more good institution, along with the home, the state, the school. She's the most vital of all institutions, the only one that can claim a heavenly 
origin. If Jesus' church is the most important organism beneath the sun, that says that some of us are wasting our time. What is your relationship to the church of Jesus Christ? Have you joined one? Are you getting involved in one? Are you working with people in one? See, that's the question. The point is that in God's sight, the church is the most important thing. Jesus said, I am building my church. May he encourage each one of us to have that same goal and that same seriousness toward the body of Christ. So my prayer is that we might be as successful in God's eternal project as Marta has been in her gymnastics project. Let's pray. Father, to contemplate what you have described here is amazing. To think that Jesus Christ is focusing on building his church. I pray that you would give each one of us a new interest in that project, a new realization of the importance of that project a new desire to be at the center of that project, to be involved in that project, that we might see the kingdom of God, the church of God, grow and develop and be successful. Thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for the privilege of being a part. Pray for your wisdom and your blessing your grace upon us as we go from here. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, both now and forever. Amen.